0: Naomi Jacobs, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, really nice to be here.
0: Great to have you here. Now, so recently, you have published a few interesting papers about something that you call capability-sensitive design.
1: Yes, that's right. So the idea of capability-sensitive design—it originally comes from uh, Ilse Oosterlaak. She's also the one who coined the term capability-sensitive design, uh, which I think is a great one. Um, and yeah, and in my uh, well, in a couple of papers that i that I wrote, uh, I explore this idea of capability-sensitive design. And I uh, yeah, I'd love to discuss it today in this podcast.
0: Great. Well, uh, we're going to focus on one paper in particular. Uh, it's a paper called Capability-Sensitive Design for Health and Well-Being Technologies. And that came out in Science and Engineering Ethics. And so let's try to break down this idea of capability-sensitive design. Uh, it's basically, if I understand it correctly, combining two different things. On the one hand, value-sensitive design. And on the other hand, uh, the so-called capability approach. And so we're going to explain those two, two things in a second, and we'll get there. But let's first try to motivate, you know, why exactly do we need this idea of about value-sensitive design, capability approach, and the combined version of the two, uh, capability-sensitive design. So in, in order to motivate this, one of the things that you're doing is that you're discussing a few examples of what you call injustices in technology design. So could you maybe mention a couple of those examples and explain something about why they are problems related to cap- uh, design of technology?
1: Yeah, of course. So I think um, when started to think about this topic, um, immediately some examples popped into mind of insensitive design, right? So designs that do not account for um, moral values or uh, that do not take into account valuable uh, human capabilities. So examples of, yeah, Injustices that occur in design and I think so one of the examples that I discuss in in the paper that you just mentioned is um, a very simple design, actually, and that is the design of a soap dispenser. Um, So a soap dispenser in a public restroom and this really caused uh, astonishment uh, a couple of years ago, because someone made a short video um, of this soap dispenser and that went viral so what was the case. Um, this was a soap dispenser that made um, use of an infrared sensor to dispense the soap, but um, it failed to take into account that this infrared sensor of the dispenser could not detect uh, darker skin tones. So um, the design, this soap dispenser, did not work for people with darker skin tones. It only worked for people with white skin, and I think. The designers might not have purposefully exclude people with darker skin tones but they did not sufficiently uh, take into account that this dispenser with the infrared sensor should also work on people with darker skin tones um, so it felt yeah in taking into account uh, the fact that well the, the intended user group well actually all people that want to wash their hands and as we all know today washing your hands is very important <laughs> um, it failed to encounter to um, yeah also work properly for um, yeah for 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 all for actually all people that the technology was intended to and it put has put um, yeah people with darker skin toes at an increased risk of harm and harm in this case understood as experiencing um, racial discrimination, but as also, of course, the harm of not being able to
0: properly wash your hands. Also um, that was- one example uh, yeah. i think let's maybe talk about at least one more example took kind of. yeah sure this.
1: so another example uh, because there are many yeah. um so another example that i uh, and i mentioned um is the example of car designs so um the design of cars um if we look at uh, men and women in comparison to men women are well tend to sit are in, on average shorter than men and therefore they uh, tend to sit further forward when driving in a car. Um, so women's legs on average need to be closer to reach the pedals and they need to be, yeah, sit more upright to see clearly over the dashboard. And um, research by, uh, or at least Caroline, uh, Caroline Criota uh, Perez in her book, which is a great book, Invisible Women, uh, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. She discusses this example um, that this, difference uh, in how uh, women are positioned in, in cars that this however is not the standard seating position for which cars are designed so designed the, the design of cars um yeah is is, is based on how uh, the average man sits in a car and, and as a result uh, women are at greater risk of injury when involved in a car crash than men so this is another example of um yeah injustice in, in technology design. Um, and also, yeah, I would say these are examples of insensitive, value insensitive uh, designs.
0: Okay, so those are examples of value insensitive design. Yes. So yeah. uh, what we need then are uh, value sensitive design. Uh, and later we'll get to the idea of capability sensitive design, but let's, uh, let's get there later. And first uh, maybe to start with value sensitive design. So what exactly is that?
1: Yeah, so value-sensitive design, um, it is a approach or methodology that aims to address and account for values in a principled and systematic manner throughout the design process. And this is an approach that has been developed uh, at the University of Washington. Um, Pioneer has been Batja Friedman uh, and David Hendry, and also quite a lot of people here in the Netherlands are working with value-sensitive design. And what is so unique about it is that it really proactively integrates ethics into technology design.
0: Now, so that, uh, that sounds great. And so why do we need to go and move to something else, namely capability-sensitive design? You know, What's wrong with value-sensitive design?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. So I think, let me say and emphasize, I think value-sensitive design is great, um, however, I also think that value-sensitive design, as it is, uh, faces various challenges. And all of these challenges have to do, is my, I think, with the fact that it lacks a solid normative foundation. Um, so I've written a paper about this um, together with Alina Hultgen, uh, and also Naomi monders has written about this, arguing mm-hmm. that, yeah, the challenges that value-sensitive design faces are due to the fact that value sensitive design does not make any ethical commitments. And I should very shortly mention these these prominent challenges. So um, one of them is that value sensitive design tends to obscure the voice of its practitioners. Um, So there are like, values that need to be designed for right or like there are values selected in the value sensitive design process. uh, To design for but it's very unclear where these values come from what the standpoint of the practitioners are what kind of normal. uh, uh, Sorry uh, normative commitments uh, the practitioners make and thereby there's this risk of claiming unfounded moral authority. Um, A second challenge is I think um, that value sensitive design tends to take stakeholder values as uh, very important and often leading values in the design process without really questioning whether what is valued by stakeholders also ought to be valued. And then uh, a last challenge is that value sensitive design um, is not really able to provide normative justification for making value trade-offs in the design process and what my position is is that I think that to solve these problems value sensitive design should um, yeah be complemented by an ethical theory in order uh, yeah to get this very uh, strong normative foundation that helps to avoid these uh, just mentioned challenges.
0: Okay so if I understand it correctly a uh, sort of proper uh, or good enough value theory is missing from value sensitive design and some of its versions. And you think that uh, the capability approach is the sort of the the theory that we should uh, add to value sensitive design to get this uh, combined idea of uh, value sensitive design and plus capability approach equaling (laughs) capability sensitive design, so to speak. So uh, maybe then what we should do next is that we should talk a little bit about what exactly is the capability approach. Could you explain that also in a few sentences at least
1: i'll try but let me first um really quick quickly emphasize that i think that the capability approach or more specifically um, martin nussbaum's capability theory but i'll come back to that later is like a really suitable candidate to um yeah to be combined with value sensitive design but in no way i want to argue that the capability approach is the only um ethical theory that could be a a good fit. So I think in different design contexts, different ethical theories might be really suited. Uh, I focus on the design context of health and wellbeing technologies. And there, I think that the capability approach and more specifically in Nussbaum's capability theory is a really good candidate. Uh, So that that
0: means that uh, if, for example, you were designing technologies to be used, let's say in a courtroom, Or for policing or a military context, perhaps in one context, you would need, I don't know, Kantian ethics uh, and another, maybe, I don't know, the ethics of just war or whatever it might be, but you're focusing on health and well-being technologies. Okay, So that's a nice point to keep in mind. And we will get back to this also a little bit later because we're going to talk about some examples of that okay so that, that's yeah. good to know okay but right and so let's then get back to uh the yeah. issue of what exactly the, the capability, is the capability approach. approach yes
1: yeah so um in a few sentences uh, it's been pioneered by amartya sen and um in short he says that when you want to assess people's well-being you shouldn't really look at um yeah The amount of resources or goods that are available to people, because ultimately that doesn't really say much about someone's well being instead we should look at what people are able to do and be so the kind of life that they are effectively able to lead. Um, So an example that he gives is, for example, a person with visual impairment and a person without such an impairment would. In a given context, need different amounts and different types of resources to enable them to have the same opportunities in life. So, although resources are necessary means to well-being and freedom, we should look at freedoms and opportunities people have available them, to them when assessing human well-being. So we should look at their capabilities when we really want to yeah, have, a, have a real idea of what life people are actually able to lead. Um, yeah and so, so what, very in short, that's the basics yeah. and the so capability. what
0: capabilities would be uh what should i be capable of doing so to speak in order to i don't know flourish or do well according to the capability approach the one that you think is suitable for this context
1: yeah so within like the capability approach um community there's much d- debate on this topic uh, i'll leave it uh for now but um I'm um, really in favor of Marta Nussbaum's capability theory and she is um, sorry one of the um, yeah one of the scholars who really comes up with this list of capabilities of which she says, and these 10 basic capabilities should be available to all people uh, in order for them to live a flourishing life um, and a life worth living. Uh, So some examples of capabilities that she mentions uh, is the capability of being able to live a a normal length of lifespan, uh, having good health, uh, maintain bodily integrity, um, also have social affiliations that are meaningful and respectful. Uh, the capability to have control over one's material and political environment and so these are some of the uh, 10 basic capabilities of which she says these are sort of moral entitlements of every human being and i think um taking this idea of um yeah that every human being is morally entitled to these capabilities and also that every human being is morally equal and deserves a life worth living. Uh, this is then the normative foundation that within this combination of value-sensitive design and uh, new spam's capability theory, making capability-sensitive design, is the normative foundation for, um, yeah, for a new um, design process. So it really forms the starting point for a new uh, technology design process.
0: So value-sensitive design is the idea that technologies should be designed uh, with certain values in mind. Uh, And the capability approach is the idea that uh, uh, all human beings uh, should, in order to be able to live good lives, uh, have access to or be able to realize certain capabilities. Uh, And we looked at some examples. Uh, I mean, one example you didn't mention, but that I always find interesting that Martha Nussmann has on her list is play or be have access to, mm-hmm. to being able to play exactly, uh, and yeah. so, so she and, and and as you as you mentioned that uh, there can be discussion about you know which capabilities should it be uh, yeah. but uh, one interesting thing about nussbaum is that she really gives you a list of 10 capabilities whereas someone like Sen says oh well like, this can be maybe maybe may be decided by people themselves in a sort of democratic way uh, exactly. and there can be discussions about which approach is better but uh, as you said we're going to stick with the sort of a and we have those capabilities and we have the idea of the capability approach and value sensitive design so maybe we should just kind of explicitly put those together and just say you know what does that then mean in terms of what exactly is then capability sensitive design i mean it's in a way it's been implicit in what we've talked about but maybe you can just give us a kind of definition
1: yeah so capability sensitive design uh, what i propose is that it sticks to the 3 partite method of value sensitive design so uh, that consists of a conceptual investigation um, where more sort of this philosophical investigation with all the, with all the stakeholders um, and the design team and the future users um, is, is, is being uh, done on what capabilities are of value in this specific uh, design context. And then a new spam's list would be the starting point. Um, and then followed by an empirical investigation. So testing whether uh, the proposed technology design actually fits the ideas that are, um, yeah, uh, are among the stakeholders and the future users, etc. And then a third phase is the is a technical design in which a prototype is being developed um, that tries to incorporate um, yeah, the capabilities that has been that have been identified as to be uh, morally relevant in, in the first phase. And then, of course, these three phases are iterative and mutually informing each other. Um, and then So capability-sensitive design is informed by um, this normative foundation of Nussbaum's capability theory, especially in the conceptual investigation. And then it works through the empirical and the technical investigation uh, of the the design
0: process. Um, So actually, that that, in a way, it reminds me of a discussion, uh, the ethics of artificial intelligence. People talk about so-called value alignment. And the worry is that uh, uh, AI technologies are not going to be aligned with human values and so I'm sort of envisioning now in my mind uh, you or someone else in in sort of developing what might be called sort of capability aligned artificial intelligence and so I can see an interesting sort of uh, research uh, project there too but let's (laughs) maybe put uh, artificial intelligence uh, to the side and so uh, here just as in the discussion about uh, aligning AI with human values it's about aligning uh, health and uh, well being technologies with capabilities, in your case, and uh, what you're interested in. And uh, the values are the, the ones associated with the capability approach. And maybe before we get to a health and well being technologies in particular, maybe we can return briefly to those two examples that we talked about before. So there was a soap dispenser that only worked for certain skin types uh, skin tones. Uh, And there was, uh, you know, the cars that maybe if you're a tall man, uh, they're maybe safe and nice to to use. But if you're a shorter person, a shorter woman, for example, then maybe the cars are not very uh, well aligned with you and and your functioning and your being. So how would one redesign those uh, in line with this sort of capability-sensitive design uh, idea?
1: Yeah. So... um... Let's take just for, for clarity sake, let's take the, the soap dispenser example yeah. again. So at the start of that design process, when you would, the team would have applied capability sensitive design, um, they, they would have uh, started the design process uh, also with a discussion on what capabilities are important in this context and what, um, yeah, what capabilities do we want to expand for all the intended uh, users of this soap dispenser? And I think in this case, you could uh, think about uh, the capability of having good health, um, but also the capability of having control over one's material environment. Um, And that also brings me to another notion of the capability approach, it's really important uh, also in the context of capability sensitive design that I haven't mentioned yet. And that is the notion of conversion factors and conversion factors, they determine the degree to which a person can transform a resource. And in this case, a technology, namely the soap dispenser how a person can transform that into a functioning. And in this case, that would be properly washing your hands. Um, But roughly within capability-sensitive design, capability approach, there are three different types of conversion factors. Either personal conversion factors that are internal to a person, such as for example, uh, your physical condition, and social conversion factors that stem from the society in which one lives. So think about, public policies, social norms, societal hierarchies, or power relations that are related to class and gender and race. Um, And then thirdly, there are environmental conversion factors that emerge from the physical or the built environment that a person lives in. And these like taking into account these different types of conversion factors. So seeing how users or in future intended users are able to convert a technology into actual functionings is really important uh, to account for human diversity, but also to account for yeah, equality uh, and fairness in the technology design. So let's go back to the uh, to the soap dispenser. In this case, I think it's very obvious that the personal conversion factor, such as uh, skin color, plays a really important role in relation to the function. Uh, of the functioning of the infrared sensor of the soap dispenser. And a capability sensitive design version of the soap dispenser would have taken the different conversion factors of people with different skin colors into account. And then ultimately assuring that people of all skin colors are able to access the capabilities of having good health and having control over one's material environment and and thereby uh, respecting human diversity and the values of equality and fair treatment.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and it's interesting what you mentioned before, that presumably whoever designed the soap dispenser, I mean, okay, it could have been that they were racist and they only wanted people with certain skin tones to to, to have access to the soap dispenser, but most likely they weren't. And they were just not taking into account the sort of the human diversity in terms of skin tones. And the same thing might be true with these cars that you talked about. I mean, of course, there might be some people who want to design cars that are only for tall men, but mm-hmm. <laughs> quite likely they just didn't think about these things and uh, ended up with what you call, uh, I mean, cap- capability insensitive designs. And so, uh, yeah,
1: and 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 structural injustices in the technology design. And absolutely,
0: I, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's an interesting paper by. Uh, Uh, Some people I went to grad school with, uh, uh, Sam Liao and Bryce Hubner, where they argue that there are what they call oppressive things, where sort of structural injustices have somehow Mm. intentionally or unintentionally been sort of designed into certain technologies. And so what we talked about just now might possibly be two examples of things that uh, have these kind of problems, social problems embedded into them. Whether it's uh, the you know the intention or not of the people designing them, Uh, okay. So let's then maybe move from soap dispensers and cars to health and well-being technologies, which is the main focus of your paper. So uh, in a certain sense, it's obvious from the name what you know these are. But on the other hand, it might be good to just have a few examples and a kind of general explanation. What exactly is a health or well-being technology and what would be one or two examples
1: yeah sure um so i would say actually any technology that has anything to do with health and well-being so very broad definition (laughs) Very broad. (laughs) but i really like the definitions of health um given by leonard nordenfeld who defines health as the ability to realize one's vital goals And uh, Sridhar Venkatapuram's definition of health as a person's ability to achieve or exercise a cluster of basic human activities or capabilities. I really like these two definitions of health. So I would then say any technology that assists people in the realization of their vital goals and to achieve and exercise their basic human activities would fall under the category of health and well being technology. But I realize this is super broad and in my research, I have uh, mostly narrowed my focus to health and well being technologies that are aimed at behavior change so to say. A type of persuasive technologies that aim to persuade users to change their behavior or attitude in relation to health and well-being uh, issues or stuff. Uh, so think, for example, about smartwatches or apps on your phone, um, for example, Fitbit uh, that persuade you to exercise more, or think of an app like Headspace that is all about mental health, uh, mental well-being, uh, just like chatbots such as Wiza. So this is a somewhat new category. These are chatbots for mental health that aim to improve, um, yeah, your mental well-being.
0: Okay. Well, I think uh, I am a user of this one of these technologies because I, when I go running, I use a jogging app that sort of tracks how many kilometers I run and I, yeah, it compares sure. me with my my wife and my father-in-law and, we, <laughs> and so on. So and we. And it's kind of a gamified activity, so we run exactly. more because we want to outcompete each other, and the <laughs> nice effect that is that we improve our condition and, and our health. Okay, so that would be maybe one example, and then you mentioned some other ones. But uh, in your discussion, you also then uh, actually sort of come up with a—I uh, think it's a sort of not an actually existing uh, mental health app, but you sort of come up with one for for the sake of discussion. And then you apply uh, the capability sensitive design idea to that app. So maybe you can say something about what app you're envisioning or imagining and then how you would apply uh, the CSD approach to that uh, particular example.
1: Yeah, of course. So what I wanted to show in the paper is, okay, we have this capability sensitive design framework, but then how would it work? So I came up with this hypothetical design case of an AI driven chatbot that aims to improve a users mental health and then just sort of hypothetically. I went about OK, if we start applying capability sensitive design to this design case, how would it work so as a start. In this conceptual first phase uh, of the whole process, a design team would then start to reflect on the question: What capabilities are relevant in the context of such a chatbot that impre- imp- aims to improve users' mental well-being? And then, when you go back to the to the list of the basic c- capabilities by, by Nussbaum, I think um, yeah, some of these capabilities really stand out as to be obviously relevant in such a context. So think for example, of the capability of being able to live in health, both physically as well as mentally. And health can then in this regard, I think best be understood as a person's ability to realize one's vital goals. Um, But you could also think about the capability of being able to um, experience human emotions. So being able to experience love, grief, longing, gratitude or justified anger and not have one's emotional development uh, blighted by overwhelming fear and anxiety or by traumatic events of abuse or neglect, for example. Um, Well, thirdly, the capability of being able to have social affiliations with others. So to have social, the social basis of self-respect and non-humiliation and to engage in various forms of meaningful social interactions with other uh, human beings. So these are yeah, just a few examples of the capabilities that could then be relevant in this specific uh, design context. And then at a little later stage, uh, designers in conversation with the various stakeholders Uh, we then need to specify these relevant capabilities because, well, they are pretty abstract still. So as an example, um, a capability such as being able to have social affiliations with others should then be broken down, so to say, uh, into a a specific norm that can give more concrete guidance in uh, the design process. So for example, that capability of social affiliation could be then um, be specified into various norms, such as for example, the norm that a person should be able to have confidential conversations, Uh, but also the norm perhaps that a person should be able to speak about thoughts and emotions and be listened to. So here you see that this specification process of these abstract capabilities into more concrete norms. And then ultimately, these more concrete norms should start to lead to very concrete design requirements. And here, for example, uh, the norm a person should be able to have confidential conversations um, could be specified into the design requirement that conversations should be end to end encrypted, just to name an example.
0: Yeah, because I mean, when one hears about this kind of uh, app, that which sounds great, uh, one might also possibly start worrying about you know privacy issues. And oh yeah, sure. for, for example, who has read uh, Carissa Valize's book "Privacy's Power." I mean, oh, becomes yes. very paranoid about privacy issues. But uh, yes, <laughs> uh, and, and and this is a vulnerable group that we're talking about. But you have uh, as one of your things that you've been looking at in a lot of these papers is the idea of vulnerability. And vulnerable people, and and so maybe, uh, maybe you could say something about how your thoughts about sort of vulnerability, plays into this 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 thinking about an app like this one, or okay, the capability sensitive design approach more generally.
1: Yeah, thanks for asking, because I think vulnerability is a crucial uh, concept, uh, and also a very interesting one, because I think the concept of vulnerability, or yeah, vulnerability is is used quite often, but it's not such an like easy, applicable term. Like, And one can question, what does vulnerability actually mean, and also, what is the moral relevance of vulnerability? But what I really like um, is uh, the taxonomy of vulnerability that has been developed by Catriona McKenzie, Wendy Rogers, and Susan Dodds. And here, vulnerability, or this is how they put it, It can be understood as a diminished capacity of a person or group of persons uh, to protect their needs and safeguard their interests and are therefore at an increased risk of harm. And uh, what their taxonomy really greatly shows is that there are various sources of vulnerability. Some of them are inherent to our human condition. Uh, Others are situational and there are also pathogenic sources of vulnerability and they define different states of vulnerability. So it can be either a current or dispositional. And without going into too much detail uh, about vulnerability, although um, I would love to, (laughs) but what I think is particularly strong of this taxonomy is that it provides you with a very fine grained analysis of how one might be vulnerable in a particular context and what the source of that vulnerability is. And then subsequently, By knowing the sources of vulnerability at play, uh, you can then, also within technology design, take measures to uh, diminish those vulnerabilities. And linking that back to capability-sensitive design, um, Catriona McKenzie has drawn a very strong connection between human diversity, which is so important to take into account, um, capability deficits, and vulnerability saying that if specific capability deficits occur this can really signal sources of vulnerability and vice versa because people's ability to convert them the resources available to them into achieved functionings will vary according to yeah, individual differences and external circumstances that we need to take into account and if a technology is, des- is designed in such a way that for some people within the intended user group, the technology does not expand their capability, the technology does not work for them. The technology design might not only be, um, yeah, not working properly, but also um, be morally unjust.
0: Yeah, absolutely fascinating issue that w- would be nice to speak more about, as you say, but uh, it's a big topic. And uh, speaking about big topics, I mean, so one. Th- uh, other question that sort of comes to mind for me and p- perhaps this also isn't too big of a topic to discuss in detail now is the topic of okay how does I mean this all sounds great the capability sensitive <laughs> design sounds very promising very interesting uh in theory uh but what about putting it into practice is it something that you also have thought a little bit about I think one of your other papers is perhaps about this if I remember correctly
1: yeah indeed so I think that is the so. I came up with this early, right? I I I developed, further developed based on Oselakers' work, and capability-sensitive design uh, in theory. But then, of course, the the question is how to apply it in practice, and also, would designers actually want to work with this framework, and how would they apply it to their design practice? So, together with Wijnand Eiselstein, I wrote a paper in which we, um, yeah. Explore this question. So we interviewed various designers and design experts to say, so, yeah, to see, sorry, what they think about um, capability-sensitive design, and we asked them whether they would apply it in their design practices. Um, that was a really uh, very interesting uh, undertaking, and I think it's fair to say that. Roughly all the design experts that we interviewed were very sympathetic to the core ideas of capability sensitive design, but really like how to really concretely apply it in their design practice wasn't really a topic for debate. Um, so I'm really happy that, um, that we did this empirical study, uh, Reynold, and me, but I think, um, yeah, future work would definitely point in that direction to really together with designers really explore how, uh, capability sensitive design could work, uh, in concrete design processes.
0: Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Maybe we'll have to record a part two at some point, maybe also including <laughs> Vinand, and to talk about this other paper that you did and also how one could put this more into practice in future work. Now, uh, okay, so let's maybe start wrapping up a little bit. And so we've talked about some of your papers, uh, and uh, maybe some people who listen to this will want to go and read those papers. And how does one find them? And also, uh, if one wants to know more about your work and what what you do, like where would one go looking online?
1: Uh, thanks for asking, Sven. Uh, so all the papers that yeah came up in this in this discussion, they are all open access. Um, you can find them on my website NaomiJacobs.nl. Um, yeah, I. Um, you can find them there or just uh, i don't know google scholar <laughs> naomi <laughs> jakob's capability sensitive design um, for those of you who are interested and uh, thank you so much and i love talking uh, to you about this topic
0: yeah great uh, uh, great topic very interesting and uh, people should also check out i mean you also have a book that you co-authored uh, not about capability sensitive design Uh, uh, and uh, all sorts of other things you're doing. So very exciting. Um, So um, Naomi Jacobs, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Sven.
0: (laughs) All right, take care. Thank you.